One message we could preach uh, forever and ever and ever. It's that one right there. He loves us. And that's what we want to have come through in all that we're doing and all that we're reading is his love for us. And we see it again this morning as we continue into the book of Mark. So I'm going to pray for us as we come out of this space, um, as we uh, move into a place of engaging God's word. So Lord, we do, we open our minds and our hearts to you, to your love. We sing these words to remind ourselves. We sing them to remind each other as we're saying them out loud. God, your love for us is so great. So let us soak in your love this morning. Let us live in the realities of your love for us, that it might transform us and change us to be just like you. Oh, God, your love overcomes all things. And Lord, we have all kinds of things to overcome in our life. So we submit ourselves to you, Lord, as your followers, as learners, as those who engage with your spirit. I pray these things in your name. Amen. Okay, good morning. We're in the book of Mark. We've been in the book of Mark for a little bit now, and we are moving our way through uh, this book together, this gospel together. And this morning is fun because we get to actually take a little, um, like, Mini, ser- mini series within our series on the book of Mark. Um, and as we do so, we'll explain how this goes. Um, but what this is going to do for us through this little, like, like as we start this morning, we're going to take this morning and a few weeks from here and talk through what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And in, in a lot of ways, this is what we as a church do as we follow Jesus together. And so as we're listening through this the next couple of weeks, you know, you'll be hearing um, my heart for Sun Hills, our heart together as a people, and how we are going to be doing this thing called Christianity or this thing called following Jesus together in community as a church. So I want to start this morning. We're going to um, pick up in Mark chapter 1, verse 16. If you've got Bibles, you can open them uh, or tablets or whatnot. You follow along with us. I want to read this passage, uh, just a few verses together, and then we're going to break this apart as we see what God's calling his disciples to. So Mark chapter 1, verse 16, here we go. Passing along the Sea of Galilee, he, Jesus, saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting the net into the sea, for they were fishermen. I love it. It's great commentary. They let us know why they're casting nets into the sea. If you didn't get it, they're fishermen. And so he's casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, famous words, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. Pause here for a second. There's more to read. But essentially, that is the call for us as a church. And that's where we're going to spend time breaking that very phrase apart. What does it mean to follow him, and to become a fisher of men. So follow me, and I'll make you become fishers of men, verse 18. And immediately, they left their nets, and they followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending nets. And immediately, he called them, and they left their father, Zebedee, in the boat with the hired servants, and they followed him. 
I love the imagery that this like, little scene here gives us. This comes right out of where Jesus was first in Galilee, proclaiming the kingdom of God has come, right? Go, repent, and believe the good news. We talked about that two weeks ago. And then right out of that proclamation of his ministry starting, he's wandering along the sea. And it kind of sounds like he's just kind of like kicking rocks, kind of going along, like those guys, hey, follow me. Oh, yeah, sure, like, guy in a white robe with a blue sash and blonde hair and blue eyes. Like, it must be someone I should follow, right? And they go to follow him. And there's this kind of this sense of, like, mystery and magic of, like, why would these people just, like, drop their nets and follow him? And what we're not understanding here, by the way, the Jesus I described is totally not what he looks like. I hope you got that. There was, like, straight faces. I'm like, oh, no. Uh, <laughs> So that's so as he does that, it's like it's not this um, kind of mysterious reason for following Jesus. And in fact, what we see in other gospels is that this guy Andrew has already been pointed out that Jesus is the Lamb of God. He was actually one of John the Baptist's followers, so he was following him. And when John saw Jesus go by, points at Andrew. Andrew, look, look, that's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Andrew knew who this person was, and he even went up to Jesus and said, hey, where are you staying tonight? That's not weird, but where are you staying tonight? Can I come hang out with you? Later, as Jesus is walking along the Sea of Galilee, he sees these men again, and he does something radically different from most rabbis. I say most, not all very different from most rabbis. And he says, come follow me. And in that call is something that any Jewish young man or young woman would have loved to hear because that is a call to discipleship. So let's talk about this particular call because this is what Jesus is calling us to as a church and as individuals. So this was not a call of believe in me and you'll go to heaven when you die. That's not what he said to them. In fact, lots of times in Mark, he says, follow me or uh, four different times. He calls people to follow them, to drop something and follow them, to pick up something and follow them, to leave something behind and follow him. Over and over again, this is his call to disciples to follow me. It wasn't a just believe in me. And I, I say it that way because... While there is Jesus' teaching of believing in him and there's an afterlife and these kinds of things, there's a call now in following him that's transforming our life at this moment, not after death, not later on in life, but right here, right now, as we follow his teachings and follow him. Um, we're going to talk more about that. So this was the call of the rabbi to his students. They, call, they called him to be a Talmudim, Talmudim. So this is what we call an apprentice. So he's calling people to apprentice under him. Come and be my disciple, my follower, my student, or my apprentice. So the difference here is not, this is not a, um, like a student of a university, right? Like this is not come and sit in a classroom and let me teach you uh, the, my ways. And then we're gonna, just going to disseminate information on you and then you go and study. Uh, this was different from that even than like a university. This is even different than um, following someone of like, of like influence on a social media account, right? Like, okay, so I'm going to like, like this person. I'm going to follow this person. And we're going to see what they do, read about what they, they post, kind of hear their way of life. And I'm just going to like watch them live their life out. 
It's even more intimate and different than that. So when I say follow, um, this is not those, those kind of pictures. In fact, it's specifically Jewish to the way that the Jewish people would be schooled all through their younger years. It wasn't easy to become a Talmudim. It wasn't easy to become an apprentice or a follower of, of a, a Jewish rabbi. But there were three levels to the Jewish education. So here we go. This is, if you like a little bit of history or a little bit of like information, this is for you, right? These are like these fun little details about how uh, this system works. And then we'll go back into some of the other, uh, other stuff. But so there's like three levels to the Jewish education, um, three levels to become a disciple or a Talmudim, which was the highest level of education. It starts at a young age, um, uh, and it's uh, between the ages of six and 10 years old. They would get involved in what's called Bet's Affair. And Bet's Affair, which means Bet is house, Affair is book or education. So it's the house of book or the house of education, right? So they would go, and this is like their grade school. They would memorize, and they'd like read and write and mathematics and things like that. But mainly their focus was on memorizing the Torah, the first five books of the, what we call the Old Testament. In their time, it was just the Testament, right? It was just the scriptures. So the, the first five books of the scriptures, and they would uh, memorize them and memorize them. It was school to them, right? Like, like we have kids in school with like singing songs about the United States, right? You know, or the planets and things like that. Like we have that. We teach them to learn these things. They would do the similar things. They would teach them um, mnemonics and ways to memorize the scriptures and how each story flows together because this was mainly uh, an oratory culture. And so they would be repeating what the scriptures are and then the scripture would be in their heart and in their mind and they would carry it with them wherever they go. And so for the majority of students, they were done at age 10 with school. Graduation day, age 10, wouldn't that be great? They were done, Bet's Affair, at age 10. They would uh, go home, and they would learn their family trade. Uh, they would pick up whatever their father's doing. They'd learn what he's doing, and they'd take on the family business. And that was most students, and there was nothing wrong with that. That was the life path for most. But for the few who they saw something in them, their ability to memorize maybe, their understanding or wisdom for scripture, their desire or calling to be a rabbi, they they would call them into the next stage, which was uh, Bet Talmud. So Bet Talmud is just the house, Bet, of learning. Bet Talmud is a house of learning. And, and so from ages 10 to 14, they would be in the house of learning. And this was the best of the best. This was full-time learning, memorizing uh, most, if not all, of the Old Testament. So not just memorizing the first five books, all of it. Memorize it, put to memory. They knew what, what, what God was saying. And as they had conversation about it, they were recalling verses um, and they're able to repeat and recite everything that was in there. They taught them the art of questioning, questions answering and question asking. If you recall, when Jesus was just a boy, he went to the temple and his parents left without him. And then he got mad at his, more scolded his parents that they left him and said, well, didn't you know I was in the house of my father and they were surprised at his ability to ask questions and answer them. He was learning this art of asking and answering questions. Uh, and this was part of their schooling. And so even after this stage, almost everyone who got to this stage 
they were also done after this part. They would go and follow the course of their parents, uh, take on their family job, and work with them uh, until they took over their business. Very few students got to make it to the next stage. This is the best of the best of the best. This is the elite, the, the summa cum laude. Uh, this is all of the people who maybe, maybe could make it to Atal Medin. And so the final level is that of Talmudin. And they would apprentice a rabbi. And they, uh, it was difficult to get into this space. Um, if you were lucky enough to get in and get an interview with a rabbi, he would sit you down and he would start to interview you and, and grill you on what do you know and ask you questions and answer questions and be able to, to show him that you were a student of his. And then if he saw that you had potential, and if he saw that, that you had the ability to become like him, and you were teachable, and he, you had the same values as him, and he thought you could follow him, then, and only then, he would turn to his rabbi and say something, I'm sorry, turn to his student and say something like, follow me, follow me. Very same words that Jesus spoke to these young men were casting nets into the sea because they were fishermen. And if you did choose to follow the rabbi, then he would put his yoke upon you, meaning his teachings. And he would give you his teachings and you'd stay close to him and he'd teach you everything about his way of life, his way of following Yahweh. And then one day, you would be able to go and make disciples of your own when he saw that you were um, able to go ahead and make disciples, he'd say, you go for it. It's your turn now. Most disciples at that stage would be the ones asking their rabbi, can I follow you? Can I be a disciple of yours? And they'd evaluate them and either accept them or reject them. And most people were sent on home. Nope, sorry, you don't have what it takes. There were very few uh, disciples per rabbi and there wasn't a whole lot of rabbis at the time of Jesus. I think there's, they suggest there's only about five rabbis um, that were operating. And the most disciples they had, at, at not even one time, just kind of through their whole course, was about 70 disciples in their whole life, uh, life or teaching span. And so there wasn't a whole lot of room for these people. And most disciples would ask their rabbi, could I follow you? Very few rabbis would call the disciple to follow them. And they would only call a disciple to follow them if they were confident that they could become like them. And so Jesus is walking along the, sh the sea or the shores of Galilee, and he says, those men can become like me. He saw something in them. And I, I pause, and I, I want to think through this. What is Jesus looking for in them? See, these kids uh, were probably 14-ish years old. Uh, when they were called to follow Jesus. And his confidence was not, I don't think, in their ability to take on his teachings. I think his confidence was in the fact that he was going to put his spirit in them in order for them to be like him. He knew he could call anybody. And that if, he, if they had his spirit, they could be like him. And so when, a, when Jesus approaches these men fishing with their father, what do we already know about them? They're fishermen. They're not Talmudim. Meaning somewhere along the route, they, along with the majority of other people, were told, you don't have what it takes. That's okay. 
go learn your father's business. And maybe one day God will bless you and give you children to do what you couldn't do. Sounds harsh, but that was like a blessing for them because it was, here, I want your children to be able to do what you weren't able to accomplish. And they would go on. So these men, they didn't make it. They weren't a Talmudin of somebody already. So not only were they being called, but they weren't even uh, at that point trying to go after a discipleship position or a Talmudin position with their rabbi. And then we see their response. And it makes a little bit more sense now. Drop their nets and follow him. They just got called in. I mean, they just got called up to the big leagues. They just like, whatever, how, whatever analogy you want to use as far as like, you were benched and now you're playing, right? Coach sees something in you. Get your shoes on. Let's go. Like, I'm there. Whatever it takes, I'm in. Drop the nets. Follow you. And the parents were happy for this. So, you know, before you feel bad for Zebedee's father, who's like left in the boats with the hired hands, and he's out of here. Uh, he's like, go, son. Like, this is great news for you. Parents wanted this for their kids. And so they dropped their nets and they go and they'd follow him because following Jesus, this was a way of life. Following your rabbi was a way of living. This is why they had to drop their nets because they dropped anything that was going to hold them back from being totally committed to this rabbi, totally engaged with whatever he's calling them to, however he's going to have them follow him and be part of his, his ministry, his life, and they're going to watch him and watch what he does throughout his ministry. Following your rabbi meant total devotion. And so, yeah, they dropped their nets. Following Jesus doesn't work as a hobby. You know, like, um, they like gardening and uh, Halloween candy. And uh, is, is eating Halloween candy a hobby? Should be. Um, Halloween candy and, uh, and following Jesus, right? Like, like imagine like your social uh, media profile. Like, yeah, I, I like these movies and these books. And, um, oh, yeah, kind of Jesus too. Um, following Jesus isn't, doesn't work well as a hobby. Um, following Jesus is a way of life. That's what he's calling his disciples to. It's the same call for us today. Um, and it starts by dropping our nets. Fishing was their way of life. Everything they did was fishing. It was how to mend nets, how to cast them out, how to bait everything, how to launch the boat, how to uh, organize your, your, your servants, like how to fish. This was their way of life. It was their career. It was their inheritance. It was everything. And they said, it's time to drop that because I have a new way of life. There's a new way for us as Jesus calls us into discipleship with him. And it starts with dropping our nets. And it's propelled by that continual dropping of nets. So whether you're just beginning your journey with Jesus or you're just um, trying to discover what he's about, it starts with, I'm gonna drop this way of life and I'm adopting a new way of life. Or if you've been following him for years and years, it's still a matter of dropping your net and following the rabbi, dropping whatever the way was and following your rabbi. So here's what I want to do. I want to take a minute here before we go on. There's a few more things um, I want to draw out about this process and who it means we are as followers of Jesus. But I want us to stop, pause, and reflect in this moment. I don't want to just blow past this idea of like, they dropped their nets and followed him. I want us to engage it ourselves. 
So where you are, you can kind of just, we're going to take a minute to breathe. And I want you to be uh, in the space. You can close your eyes or leave them open, whatever is more comfortable to you. I want you to visualize if you're a visual person or sense or feel what the Spirit is calling you to as far as what are the nets or the net that Jesus is saying, drop this. this. This was the way. This is a new way. What are the nets that God's calling you to drop? These nets are every reason that we have not to follow what he's called us into. And you may not have been able to drop it yet. That's okay. This is not a forced thing. Uh, We can't make this happen by guilt or shame or coercion. This is an invitation, what Jesus is calling us to. Drop it and follow him into what's new. If you can't drop it, that's all right. In fact, if you can't drop it, it's a great conversation to have with God. God, what is this? What's the attachment in my heart and my soul around this? Why can't I let this go? Talk to him about your feelings on this, what you're afraid of. And when you're ready, you'll be able to put this net down. We're going to come back to this because this is going to be our practice for the week of dropping nets. But as you've been called to be a Talmudin, a follower, an apprentice, of your rabbi. You have three goals as a Talmudin, okay? Three goals of Talmudin, and they sound pretty simple. First one is this, be with your rabbi. We're going to take time in the next couple of weeks to talk through these a little bit more and actually practice them together, but be with your rabbi. This is the first one. Spend time with them. In fact, there was a, uh, an old Jewish blessing. You can uh, find it in all kinds of literature out there. These things are well documented, um, which is what's so fun about this kind of research is people have written about this for so long, and there's this, um, it's, uh, this Jewish blessing. It was, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. May you be covered in the dust of your rabbi because you'd be so close to your rabbi listening to what he's saying as he's walking along that his sandals would kick up dust and it would cake to your body and cake to your, your hair and your, your legs and everything and you'd be covered in your rabbi's dust because you'd be so close to them because you want to know what are they doing? What are they saying? How are they engaging the world? May you be caked in the dust of your rabbi. So the first one's be with your rabbi. Second one is this, to become like your rabbi. In fact, this is, this is kind of the second phrase of this. Uh, uh, follow me and I will make. Uh, uh, Jesus is the one that will be transforming you. I will make, I will change you to become like me. And so their goal was to let their rabbi shape them in their daily life, in their responses to life and the people around them in situations that they become like their rabbi. And then the final step, the final thing is to do what the rabbi did. After a few years, if you had what it took, your rabbi would turn to you and say, okay, you got it. In all ways, you know my teachings, 
You know how to be like me, how to act like me. You're able to follow Yahweh like I follow him. Now you go and make disciples. If that sounds familiar, it's because it's the exact thing that Jesus did to his disciples just before he went to the cross. Before he left, he rose and left and be with his father. He turned to them and he said, it's your turn now. Go and make disciples. So this takes practice on our end. And, and I say practice because it's different than, um, uh, than like trying, right? So practice and trying, uh, uh, in my mind, I hear, I think trying, it's like, ah, oh, yeah, I'll see what I can do. Uh, and I try something once or I try it again and I might fail. And it's like, ah, well, I tried it. That was nice. What, what Jesus is calling them to is a, a practice, a continual way of living. So not just like a set of ideas um, or a, a way of, um, of like, like moral obligations or ways to operate. It's a way of life. So uh, this is a practice that he's calling them into. Um, and so one way we can say this is it's about uh, training, not about trying. And so what's great is God calls them and us to train with him. Because of the grace of God and his love for us, we can train and not be judged. We can train and fail, and that's okay because we're training. Jesus' sermon on the mount, when he kind of laid out the, uh, the total of his, of his preaching, of his teaching, and what he is as a disciple, he starts with whoever practices these teachings and these commandments, they'll be called great in the kingdom of God. He teaches and teaches and teaches and teaches. And at the end, he says, if you put these into practice, or if you don't put them into practice, right? You're like a, a man who builds his house in the sand and the wind and the waves, right? That story. But he starts and he ends with practice these things. And that's what's important here, that we're learning to put into practice the way of Jesus. It's just like training for anything else. Uh, we wouldn't call you off the couch to go run a marathon, right? You might get far. You, you might get a few miles in. It's 26.2 miles for a marathon, but you might get a ways in. And if you try really hard, and if there's like a big prize at the end, you might try even harder. And maybe if you had a cheerleader there, you know, like, you can do it, you know, carrying you on, running with you, you might make it a little bit farther. But there's no way going from zero miles a week to a marathon is going to happen. That's a trying, and we're going to fail that. But if you practice a few miles each day, a little bit more each week, we get there. This is what God is calling us to as followers of Jesus, is that little by little, we put to practice these things. That's why we talk about a weekly practice. Not because we're going to do it perfectly, but because each week, if we take this practice and we put it into work in our heart, in our mind, in our life, and we remember to do it each day, then little by little, over the course of months and years, we become like our rabbi. And that's what he's calling us to. Here at Sun Hills, our heart is for discipleship. I'm going to keep asking and answering the question, what's a disciple and how do you make one? Because this is what he's called us to. This is the great commission for all of us. 
And so uh, discipleship is not scalable. If you notice, Jesus had 12 and other rabbis had a few. Um, Discipleship is not scalable. You can't just add more and more and more on. In fact, it works best one on few, one on one. That's discipleship, which means it takes the whole church, the whole congregation. We're all called to this discipleship. And so to follow Jesus takes community. We follow Jesus together in community. So whether that's a Bible study that you're in, or maybe you're still meeting with some, like, uh, some element of a missional communities, or you have a weekly dinner and you hang out together, um, this is how we follow Jesus, together in community with these practices. And it's why last week we had uh, this communion as a meal. It's a time for us to get together and be able to uh, learn each other's names, hear what each other are about, and maybe find some people who are like us in some way. So after Sundays, we can have a community that we practice following Jesus together. It happens in community. Practice Jesus' way of life. That's the second piece. We do it in community. We practice Jesus' way of life, weekly practices, and our posts on Instagram. We'll kind of post our midweek practice reminder um, and then sharing it together in community. And then finally, it's, a daily intimacy with God, growing in daily intimacy with God. The goal is that each of us would have a go-to contemplative prayer practice that keeps us connected with the Spirit, connected and reminded of who His work in us. So as Sun Hills, we're going to keep talking about these things over the next few weeks because this is who we are. This is where we're going together as a church. And it starts with dropping our nets, and following our rabbi. So I'll remind us of our practice for the week. This week, every time you discover a net that you're holding on to, a net, not a net, that's a person, a net that you're holding on to, I want you to practice dropping it. You might be picking it right back up again. You're like, ah, there it is again. Okay? But I want you to practice dropping it. If you can't, that's all right. Talk about it. Talk to your community about it. I've got this net. I can't let it go. Let me tell you why. There's no shame in that. This is a practice. We're going to get better at practicing dropping these things and putting them down and saying, this is for you, God, and I'm following you. This is the old way of life, and I'm doing something different now. So many things attached to these nets that we hold. That could be a whole other morning all by itself, right? The things that we hold on to in these nets. But start engaging it this week. Practice dropping it. Every time you notice that you have one, I'm going to pray. I want to invite uh, Greg back up to lead us in some more uh, musical worship. This whole morning is worship, but we're going to continue to sing together in worship. And as you are singing or praying, if God reveals this net to you, um, I want you to just, in your mind, imagine letting that go. Talk to him about it. Even later on this morning, we're not needing to be quickly like out of here. So if there's a conversation you want to have or need to have with somebody in this room, we would love to talk with you and talk about these nets that we hold. So let me pray and uh, we'll we'll continue on. God, we just, uh, at this moment, take a pause. I want to offer back to you our worship and our praise. In these times of like uh, knowledge, consumption of of your word and what you're calling us to, um, Lord, it's very uh, introspective. And now at this point, Lord, we want to um, give you give to you our praise, give to you the things that are on our minds. Let you just work them. 
God, would you give us the freedom by your love to just drop whatever's in our hands. So God, we give you these things and pray them in your name. Amen. Falling on my knees in worship, giving all I am to seek your face.